Welcome again to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. In Judges 17, a sketchy fellow named Micah finds himself in need of a priest. Micah steals money from his mom's purse, owns up to his sin, and then returns it. But then she uses the money to build a false god. Because apparently the whole family is a bit questionable. Micah sets the idol up in his house, along with some other forbidden gods, and then appoints his son as priest to manage it all. But one of the many problems with Micah's plan is that his son wasn't qualified to be a priest. Micah and his descendants did not come from the tribe of Levi, which ever since the golden calf incident of Exodus 32 was the exclusive tribal provider of your Israelite priests. So when Micah stumbles upon a real priest close by, an authentic Levite in the flesh, he hires that man instead. Micah says in Judges chapter 17, verse 13, sounding very sure of himself, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Now, sadly, things wouldn't turn out so great for Micah. And his actions are just one example of the chaos and corruption within Israel during the time of the judges. That's why we read in verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. A variation of that phrase is repeated in chapter 18, again in chapter 19, and it closes the book in chapter 21. But you know, Micah was not totally wrong to see himself in need of a priest. After all, priests did do some pretty important things. They prayed. They sacrificed. They taught. In short, they made sure that the nation of Israel stayed on God's good side. And who wouldn't want someone like that close by? However, Micah was wrong to assume that if he acquired a priest, he would have it made in the shade. He was foolish to think that as long as he had a Levite under his roof, God would overlook all those idols. But Micah wasn't wrong in his basic recognition that he needed a priest. Now, you may be wondering, what does any of that have to do with the book of Hebrews? Well, two weeks ago in chapter 5, we discussed Jesus as our great high priest. Then last week, chapter 6 ended with a return to that same theme. And for the second time in the book, the author name-dropped another priest, a guy named Melchizedek. And today in chapter 7, we once again hear talk of priests. And yet again, we read that name, Melchizedek. Because as it turns out, Micah is not the only person who needs a priest. We do as well. 
But we need this priest not so that God can prosper us in the way that Micah selfishly imagined. Rather, we need this priest so that God can redeem us from sin, death, and judgment. And that priest's name is Jesus Christ. So open up to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for those who are here this morning, including the kids in the sanctuary. I pray that we would learn from them, that they would learn from us, and that you would be glorified by our service today with everyone in the room. We pray for those who are traveling. We know there are a lot of them this time of year, this week specifically. We ask that you keep our friends and our family and our neighbors and our brothers and sisters in Christ safe on the road and in the air and wherever else they might be. We ask that you watch over those traveling. We also ask that you be with those who are grieving from recent losses within the last week or losses within the past several months. We ask that you watch over those who are mourning within our church. And Lord, thank you that in so many cases, though we grieve, we do not grieve without hope. And I pray that you'd be with us as we attend to your word this morning in a passage that can be a bit confusing can seem a bit irrelevant, I pray that you would teach us something important from your word today. Teach us something about ourselves and teach us something about you, your grace, your kindness, your mercy, your provision, seen most clearly in sending your son, Jesus. Lord, by the power of your spirit, help us read and understand your word Grow us, shape us, form us in your image for your glory. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Starting in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from the brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. 
So let's address the elephant in the room. Who in the world is Melchizedek? This priest appears only two other places in the Bible. Genesis chapter 14 and Psalm 110. The verses we just read summarize the events of the first passage. That second passage will come up later. But in Genesis 14, Abraham's nephew Lot gets caught in the middle of a war between pagan kings. Abraham hears the news, swoops in, saves Lot, defeats the bad guys, and then starts to return home. But as he goes, he meets a mysterious figure, and that's Melchizedek. Melchizedek blesses Abraham in the name of God Most High, and Abraham tithes. Our passage identifies Melchizedek in Hebrews as king of righteousness, king of Salem, which was likely slang for Jerusalem at the time, and king of peace. The author argues that if Melchizedek blessed Abraham... And if Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, that means Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. And for an audience that was mostly Jewish in a previous life, like the audience reading this letter, it's hard to imagine someone greater than Abraham. But wait, there is more to consider with Melchizedek. Namely, what do we do with verse 3? Look again at those words. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. That verse has led to lots of speculation about Melchizedek's identity in Genesis 14. Was he an angel? Was he some sort of divine being? Was he Jesus in disguise? Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think that's the point of verse 3. The main point is this. We don't know where Melchizedek came from. Why is that important? Well, remember what we said earlier. Back in Judges 17, even someone as shady as Micah knew that his son could never be a true priest. Why not? Because he didn't come from the tribe of Levi. And only Levites can be priests. So if we don't know where Melchizedek came from, And if the true Levitical priesthood wouldn't be established until generations later, that means Melchizedek can't be a priest in the fullest sense of the word. Right? Wrong. Melchizedek is a priest. For all of the mystery, the curiosity, and the speculation that swirls around Genesis 14, that much is certain. He's a priest. But on top of that, Melchizedek isn't just any priest. He's greater than Abraham. And in a roundabout way, 
He's greater than all of the Levitical priests. Because when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, it's almost like all of the Levites who would come down the line were tithing to him too. Okay, let's come up for air. Now that we've maybe got some clarity on the first ten verses of this chapter, it's worth asking. Why is the author of Hebrews telling us this? He's preparing us for his bigger argument throughout the rest of chapter 7. He's laying the groundwork for his core claim that Jesus is our great high priest. Again, a faithful, formerly Jewish audience might hear that claim. Jesus is our great high priest and immediately shoot back. Now, wait just a minute. Jesus is not a Levite. He can't be a priest. He's no more legitimate than Micah's son back in Judges 17. And how might the author respond? Yeah, he wasn't a Levite. So what? Neither was Melchizedek. So why can't Jesus be our great high priest? But the argument continues in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So believe it or not, the author's argument is getting progressively clearer. To this very day, sinners still need a priest. 
In fact, we need a new and better priest than anyone who came before. Why? Because holy harmony with our holy God. What people were created for was not attainable through the Levitical priesthood. It could not perfect sinners. Along similar lines, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that the law of Moses, though God-given, good, and appropriate for a time, was never the final solution to the problem of sin. It served an important purpose in the past. And it can still be a helpful gift from God now when used in the right way. But it was always looking forward to something else. It was a temporary guardian. So on the one hand, all the things those Old Testament priests did really mattered. Their prayers, their sacrifices, and their upholding of God's law all had real meaning for God's people in their time and place. But on the other hand, those things were only temporary. They were always looking forward to something or to someone better. And who is that someone? Who is that new and different kind of priest? He's not a descendant of Aaron. He doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. And his name isn't Melchizedek. But the entire book of Hebrews has been building up to this point. That Jesus Christ is the great high priest sinners need. He is the only one who can make full purification for sins. The only one who can taste death for everyone. The only one who can sanctify us. The only one who can truly free us from slavery. The only one who can make propitiation for the people. The only one who can give us rest. The only source of eternal salvation for all. The only one who can really go behind the curtain of the Holy of Holies. The only one who is perfect in himself. The only one who can attain perfection for others and the only one through whom sinners can draw near to God. Jesus is the priest that Micah and every other sinner who's ever lived actually needed. He's the priest that you still need. He's the priest that I still need. But if he's not a Levite, what makes Jesus so qualified for that role? Well, I'm glad you asked. He is our great high priest by the power of his indestructible life. Verse 16. All the other priests eventually died. And yes, Jesus did die on the cross. But then he rose. And now he lives. What's Jesus' other qualification? Well, simply put... God said so. God made an oath. We see that in verses 17 and 21, which is where the author quotes Psalm 110, the other place that Melchizedek is mentioned. And it's thanks to this new priest 
Jesus Christ, that we have a new covenant. Now, in a sense, that shouldn't surprise us. Way back in Old Testament passages like Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, God promised a new covenant. One that would finally solve the problem of sin once and for all. And Jews were looking forward to the day when those promises would be fulfilled. Those promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Because he is the new priest who establishes the new covenant. You know, lots of things have changed since the time of Micah and the judges. But one thing that hasn't changed is this. Sinners need a priest. Verses 1 through 10 told us that he doesn't have to be a Levite. After all, Melchizedek wasn't. And verses 11 through 25 told us that it's actually better if he isn't a Levite. Because that whole system was never the ultimate solution. Sinners need a priest. We need someone who isn't us to grant us good standing with God. And who is that priest? None other than Jesus Christ. The passage concludes with this, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We need a priest to make sure that we are in good standing with God. Because left to our own devices, we won't be. That's been the sad state of affairs ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and throughout the rest of the Old Testament. From Noah to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to Israel's time in the wilderness to their conquest of the land to the time of the judges to the days of the kings and all the way to their devastating exiles, the problem of humanity's sin just would not go away. That problem is still pervasive in the New Testament, leading Paul to say in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin is still a problem now. From the seemingly small ways that we fall short in our daily lives, a bit of lust, a tinge of pride, or a pinch of greed, From that stuff to the most horrifying atrocities on the world's stage, we see that sin just keeps hanging on. So if we really want that problem fixed once and for all, we need a priest. But it can't just be one of the priests of old. It has to be Jesus. 
We need someone like us enough to stand in our place and take our penalty. But unlike us enough to live to tell about it. And in his humanity and his divinity, being fully God and fully man, Jesus is up to that task. As we'll see in much greater detail next week, the sacrifice that he offered is unlike any other. But we also need Jesus to return in power and glory, establish his kingdom, redeem creation, cast Satan down once and for all, and truly eradicate sin and death. In a sense, that work was done through his life, death, and resurrection. But in another sense, it will only be completed when he comes again. That's why we look forward to Jesus' return with such eager anticipation. Our world has had plenty of inadequate priests. Aaron was not enough. The Levites were insufficient. Melchizedek was cool and all, but he's not Jesus. Judas Priest was nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but they fall short. Priest Holmes was a good running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, but he can't save us either. The priests portrayed in old books, movies, and TV shows may often be charming. And the modern priest down the street may be nice enough, but they're inadequate too. And while we're at it, Whatever other means we might resort to, to try and stay in God's good standing, or enter God's good standing, our good deeds, our contributions to society, our religious sacrifices, our acceptable opinions, none of those are enough to grant us God's favor. You need a priest for that. And you need Jesus to do that. So in Judges 17, Micah did get one thing right. He needed a priest. Micah was also correct to discern that you can't just have anybody as your priest. You need someone qualified and designated by God. Melchizedek was great. Aaron was important. And the Levites had their place. But if what you're after is eternal salvation, if you're longing for a solution to humanity's sin and your own, there's only one priest who can do the trick. That's Jesus Christ, your exclusive provider of good standing with God. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that we have a priest. We have the priest, the only priest that we really, truly need in your son, Jesus. This language of priesthood and sacrifices and guilt and offerings, it sounds pretty foreign to many of our modern ears. It sounds primitive or outdated or distant or removed. But regardless of how much changes from Judges 17 to 
2023, the truth remains that sinners need a priest. We are not in good standing with you on our own. Our sin prevents that. So, Lord, I pray that we would recognize our need for a priest. But even further than that, recognize our need for Jesus. That he is the only priest who can truly give us good standing with you. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to you come what may. As we look around and still see the problem of sin manifesting itself in so many ways. Personal and public, internal and external, sin still hangs on. So Lord, I pray that we would trust you to cover our sin in a way that only you can as our great high priest. And I pray that we would also look forward to your return when the problem of sin is really, truly fixed once and for all, for all to see. Thank you that you are our great high priest. Thank you that you are our Savior, our Lord, our King. Thank you that we have good standing with you by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you. We worship you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service today, two comments. One really quick. Fun fact about the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Not so much about the song, but a cool little story. The famous theologian Karl Barth, who wrote extensively on the most deep philosophical theology you can possibly imagine, he wrote a book called Church Dogmatics that's about this big. And there's a story of him going to speak at a church And the pastor went to go pick Karl Barth up at the airport or wherever he was coming in from. And this pastor was just so excited to have Karl Barth.